Hello, and welcome to this week's podcast from Clare Church. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information or the chance to donate online, please visit clarechurch.com. today we're going through our Jedi Jesus series where uh, just make a little connection here that if you've seen Star Wars and you know who the Jedi are you know that they are in touch with the force and they can use the force to do and accomplish things that the everyday normal person in the Star Wars galaxy can't seem to be able to do in a lot of ways we see Jesus doing the same kind of thing he's healing people he's Bringing people back from the dead. People who are paralyzed can walk again. People who are blind can see again. Uh, there's just a little bit of food. He breaks the bread and multiplies it. And there's all kinds of food. Enough to feed thousands of people. Uh, so that's kind of the connection we're making there with Jedi Jesus. But more importantly, what we see is in Star Wars, the main storyline is the fact that there was a rebellion rising up against the evil empire. Jesus, in much the same way is leading a rebellion or a resistance against evil. So uh, those are all things that we brought out over these few weeks as we look at these miracles of Jesus, uh, mostly in the gospel according to Mark. So we're, we've kind of skipped ahead. We're in Mark chapter 10 today. The last few weeks we've been in chapter 6, chapter 5, chapter 4. We've kind of been more closer to the beginning of the story. So we've kind of skipped uh, chapters uh, 7, 8, 9 and different things that are going on here. And uh, there's a healing of another blind man. There's some, another healing of a, a man who can't hear or speak. There's um, the transfiguration. If you remember that story, uh, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on a high mountain and they see the spirits of Moses and Elijah descending from heaven and Peter says, oh, Jesus, should we make tents here and make this a place to stay and make sure we get comfortable here? And Jesus is like, no. And it says from that point, Jesus' face was kind of set towards Jerusalem. But Jesus was like, no, we got more to do. we got to come down off this mountain. Uh, that happens in between here. The healing of a boy with an evil spirit. Uh, so he feeds uh, 4,000 in one place, feeds 5,000 in another um, just lots of miracles and different teachings and things going on in between here. and But the story is progressing in a way where we know that Jesus is traveling around and he's headed towards Jerusalem. And that's kind of where our story starts today, as it says, this is chapter 10, verse 46, Then they came to Jericho. How many of you remember Jericho from vacation Bible school or kid children's Sunday school teachings and the song that we would sing, you know, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down, remember all that? Uh, so there is a connection here, and I think Mark does this on purpose. I don't think he is uh, just by having to say, oh, let's put Jericho in there. I think this is an intentional thing to link these two events together at this point in the story. And part of that is because what we know about Jericho is we remember the people as they 
We're coming out of the wilderness. Moses turns over the reins of leadership. He makes Joshua the leader, leads them, and they cross the Jordan River, much the same way when they left Egypt. They cross the Red Sea on dry land, now they cross the Jordan River on dry land, and they get across and they come to Jericho. Jericho is like the first major city or village uh, once you pass the Jordan River on your way to Jerusalem. And so Jesus is making this journey. He has to come across the Jordan River, and there is Jericho. And what's interesting about the way Mark tells the story, it says, and they came to Jericho, and then the next sentence says, uh, they came to Jericho as Jesus uh, and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. So he knows that it says they came to Jericho, we don't know what happens, Mark doesn't say anything about what they did in the city, what happens in the city, this story is taking place when they leave the city, Okay? So, uh, there's a sense here of what happens and what Jesus does in the city doesn't seem to be important. So, but he's making this connection back to Jericho, which is in Joshua chapter 6. So I flip back in my Bible, back to the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 6. And I read about that story. The first thing that I noticed, you remember the story of Joshua and Jericho. So they come across the Jordan River, Joshua sends spies over, they find a refuge with uh, Rahab, who was a prostitute who helps take care of the spies and make sure they can do their spy business. The spies come back and report to Joshua, and Joshua is freaking out at the report. He's like, oh my goodness, I'm supposed to lead these people into the promised land, and there's this huge city with big fortified walls and, and an army that I don't think we can handle. What am I going to do? So he leaves and he walks away from Jericho, walks away from the camp where they're at. And what does he see? What does he find out there? But an angel of the Lord. Now he doesn't know it's an angel of the Lord. What he sees is a big warrior type man with a sword. And so Joshua, already distraught, already pulling his hair out as a leader trying to lead people into something that he doesn't know that they can do or accomplish. Sees this angel with a big sword and says, oh no, I'm out here by myself. What's going to happen? So he says, are you with us or are you against us? Are you with us or are you against us? That's interesting because as I read the Gospel of Mark, if you just turn back just a little bit, in Mark chapter 9, there is a story here that uses the same, very similar kind of phrasing. This is verses 38 to 41. Teacher said, John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. And Jesus uh, says, do not stop him. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. Forever is not against us, it's for us. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. So it's interesting. It's almost as if Mark is mirroring this story of Joshua and Jericho. Even up to the point of this phrasing about are you against us or are you for us? So the angel answers back to Joshua and says, don't worry. I am an angel of the Lord. I'm a leader of the Lord's army. And God has given you Jericho. Here's what you need to do. And he gives them all these instructions that every day 
for six days, I want you to make a circle around Jericho. And I want the trumpets to play and everything. And on the seventh day, I want you to walk around seven times and blow the trumpets. And then I want the people to shout. Okay? So Joshua goes back to the camp, tells them all this crazy plan of how this is going to work. We go through with the plan. And the walls come tumbling down. And it's interesting the New International Version, the way it's phrased here. Uh, it says, And Jericho was devoted to the Lord. And that makes it sound kind of all nice. Right? Isn't it nice to be devoted to the Lord? Uh, but what it really means is all of Jericho was completely destroyed and wiped out. Except for Rahab the prostitute and her household. Right? They were spared. So, that's the story that we see happening there. Uh, I see a lot of parallels uh, with Mark telling this story. So after all of that happens, now Joshua is on his way out of Jericho. And Joshua turns back and says a curse on Jericho. He says, woe to Jericho and to any man who ever rebuilds this town. You know, basically saying, that Jericho should never be built up again. Which is interesting, because here we are some hundreds of years later, and here's Jesus at Jericho. So somebody didn't listen to Joshua's instructions, right? Somebody decided, let's rebuild this town. Let's keep this thing going. Somebody didn't listen to Joshua. And so I think that's kind of why Mark, the way he tells the story, it says they came to Jericho, but they don't ever talk about anything that happens in the town. See, I think he's making that parallel to the story of Jericho. And what was the important thing? There about Jericho. Do you remember what was what was Joshua's task as a leader? What was he given the task to do? Ultimately, like if you have to just like yeah, when you have a task, you know, there's a lot of short, smaller tasks, but there was one big picture. What was it that Joshua was trying to do? He's trying to lead the people into the promised land. What is Jesus trying to do? He's trying to lead the people to the promised land. They come across the Jordan River. He's on his way to Jerusalem so that he can lead the people to the promised land, eternal life. Right? Right? So, uh, let's keep going through our story here. Disciples came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. First of all, remember, this is interesting. So the parallel here is remember, Joshua walked out of the camp and he meets the angel, and the angel says, This is holy ground. Take off your shoes. Jesus, disciples of the crowd, leave the town. Holy ground. Right? Uh, so as they're leaving, he, Bartimaeus is on the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David. Now this is important for us to recognize because son of David is a phrase that we see for the first time in Mark's gospel right here in this verse. 
Up to this point, no one has ever called Jesus son of David. Now, Peter, he's asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, I think you're the Christ, which means the Messiah, which was the one from God, the one sent from heaven, you know, that kind of thing. But up until this point, no one has called him the son of David. And in fact, it's in direct contrast to what Jesus is called immediately before proceeding. It says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he cried out, not Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. He cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So there's a direct contrast there that I think Mark wants us to pick up on. Because we heard that Jesus of Nazareth, remember when he went to Nazareth? Remember when word got out that Jesus was from Nazareth? What did they say? They scratched their heads and they said, could anything good ever come from Nazareth? Right? Like they just assumed that Jesus was a nobody. Right? That there couldn't be anything that he could really accomplish because he was from Nazareth. And that's in contrast to this blind beggar on the side of the road who heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, doesn't believe what is said about Nazareth and that nothing good could come from there. Instead, sees something that nobody else has been able to see and cries out, Jesus, son of David. And that son of David phrase is hearkening to the fact of what Peter said, that you are the Christ, because we know that the Savior, the Messiah, will come from the line of David, or the family of David. So when he cries out, Jesus, son of David, it's not something you can just skip over, but he's saying, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe that you are the Savior, the one sent from God, the one who is our king, our ruler, who will restore. Remember, David was the golden era of life in the promised land, right? So when he cries out, all of that is wrapped up in this blind beggar Bartimaeus saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, so he's basically calling him Messiah. Now look at what happens next. Verse 48. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Now think about this in your own life. So just Let's just put ourselves in the in Bartimaeus' shoes. A blind beggar by the side of the road. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm in my own shoes and I'm driving along and I see a beggar by the side of the road, I look away. Why? Because I don't have cash or money in my car. I don't have anything to give him. And I feel guilty and ashamed, right? And I don't even know that if I did have anything to give him, if it actually helped the situation. But I know that Jesus taught the story of the Good Samaritan that you're not just supposed to pass by people who meet up on the side of the road, right? So we look away. And we, you do that enough, and it's like you're not even there. And I think part of that is here in the story is people are like, shh, be quiet. You're not important. You're not important. Be quiet. Shut up. You're not important. Do you ever hear those voices? In your mind, in your, when you're speaking to yourself in that own internal voice, or from other people, give you that impression. 
I mean, this is a similar kind of thing that that woman that we read about a week or two ago that had been bleeding for 12 years. How do you think people talked to her or treated her? That because of your sickness, because of your illness, you're not important. You're unclean. You're not worth anybody's time. Saying the same thing to Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. Look, man, you're, we know they're back in those days, they were sure that if you were blind or had any kind of sickness or illness, it was some kind of supernatural curse that was on you. And so you must, or your parents must, or somebody must have done something wrong if you deserve to be blind. That was, I'm not saying that's true. I'm saying that's probably the way people thought. Uh, so be quiet. Shut up. You're not important. You've been blind. You're always going to be blind. You're not going to be worth anything. You're nothing but a beggar. You're not worth his time. Shut up. Be quiet. Right? We have those same kind of voices speaking to us. And how many of us finally get it worked up to a point where we can say something definitive about our faith, like this guy does, where he cries out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Savior, Messiah, have mercy on me. And then we start hearing those voices like, who are you to talk about God? I've seen the way you live your life. Who are you? Who are you? You need to be quiet. And we listen to those voices and we think, some of us just shrink into our shells and believe them. And we let faith slowly fade out. And we still go through the motions because it's all that we know. But really, we don't know for sure. We don't know if we still have that faith or not. So, but Bartimaeus, even though he's blind, sees something that other people aren't seeing. Let's, let's not forget in this story all these miracles along the way that Jesus has been doing. Walking on water, calming the storm, feeding thousands of people, he, raising people from the dead, making people walk again. After every single one of those, almost every single one, there are people who still don't believe. They see it with their own eyes. Happen right in front of them. And Jesus still says, oh, you have little faith. Right? Even though they see what they're on, still, they're not getting it. But Bartimaeus, who can't see with his own eyes, who can only hear about what other people say about this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, has the faith to say that, Jesus, you are the Messiah, you are the Savior, you can do something about me. I think one of the things that we need to get in touch with again is to be blind. When I say that, what I mean is we need to get in touch again with how deeply we truly need God. To the point where we're willing to cry out for help. The point where we're willing to stand up in faith and make a proclamation that Savior Jesus, I need you. Instead of trying to always be self-reliant. Our culture has done a great job of teaching us how to be independent and self-reliant. 
which aren't necessarily bad things, right? They do a lot of good in the world and in your life. But when it ultimately comes down to it, how are you going to get to the promised land? Do you know the way? Are you sure about the way? If it's just me, no. I need Jesus to follow. I need Jesus to show me the way. I need Jesus to lead the way. It's very much like praying the Lord's Prayer where we say, God, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God, your will be done. Your kingdom come in my life just as it is in heaven. That type of surrender. It says, God, I want to go to the promised land, but I'm not sure how to get there. But I believe Jesus will lead me there. I believe the way of Jesus will get me there. So, uh, Bartimaeus ignores the many people rebuking him. We need to figure out how to do the same thing to some of the voices in our life. To ignore them and continue to proclaim by faith, Jesus, you are my Savior and I need you. So he cries out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stopped and said, call him. So these folks now so have to, it says, so they called to him. So these folks who had been rebuking him now have to eat crow and go to him and say, cheer up, get up, Jesus calls you. Do you not see the humor in this? How Jesus just kind of like turns things around on them? Now, they thought they were right, I tell them to shut up and be quiet. Now all of a sudden they have to backtrack and say, no, 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 Jesus wants you. Jesus wants you. You think about this in your own life. Ignoring the, the negative voices that say you're nothing and hearing the voice that's calling to you that says you are my child. The voice of God, the voice of Jesus saying, you are my child, come to me. I, I want to help you. Not only can I, I want to and I will. So they go to him and they say, cheer up, get up, he's calling to you. So he drops his cloak, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And he probably had to be led by somebody, right? If he can't see with his own eyes, he had to have some kind of way of knowing how to get to Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? If Jesus asks you that right now, right here today, what would you say? Have you thought about it? What do you really want him to do? Are you in touch with how deeply you need Christ? What do you want me to do? And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. I want to see. You know, that may be a good answer to the question. He 
But you tell Jesus, I want to be able to see. I want to see the promised land. I want to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I want to see your love in charge of my life. I want to see your love in my kids' lives. I want to see your love in my neighborhood, in our schools. I want to see your promised land, your kingdom come, your love. Because remember, Jesus teaches them, people will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. I want to see. Help me to see. So the blind man says, Rabbi, I want to see. Verse 52. Go, Jesus said. Your faith, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. And so there's this connection here between faith and sight. There's a connection between faith and sight that Jesus makes, that we see it made in lots of places in the gospel. In fact, whenever Jesus heals a blind man, it's almost in contrast to the people around who, who think they can see because they have their physical eyesight, but really can't see. Okay? So there's a connection here between faith and sight. In fact, the best place in Scripture that I am aware of that makes this connection is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, that says, Now faith, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So when we look at the story of Jesus healing blind Bartimaeus, What's going on here is the disciples are following around. There's crowds of people following around. All people who can physically see with their own eyes, who can see all the miracles and the great stuff that Jesus is doing, right? Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law, all kinds of people are wanting to see what this Jesus of Nazareth guy is all about and what he's been doing. There's some kind of commotion. There's some kind of hubbub. There's a buzz going on about Jesus. And they want to see, and they want to see, and they want to see, but they're not seeing, right? Because they're hopeful, right? They're hopeful that Jesus will lead them to where? The promised land, right? They're hopeful that Jesus will restore the kingdom of God on earth, right? They're hopeful, but they're not sure of it. They're not certain of it. Because what are they thinking and imagining in their minds? They're saying, this is great, Jesus, that you're helping poor people, that you're healing sick people, that you're giving sight to the blind, and that you're feeding hungry people, right? This is all great. But when are you going, this is what they're watching and waiting for, when are you going to pull out your army of the Lord, flaming sword, or whatever it's going to be, and wipe out the evil Roman Empire? When are you going to just tear those walls down and beat everybody up that's not, that's not on our side? Right? That's what they're hoping for, but they're not sure. They're not certain. Because that's, in their mind, they're thinking, Messiah, Christ, 
from David's line, restoring the golden era of the kingdom of God, is going to look like what it always looked like in the past. But really, Jesus is trying to get them to see like the blind beggar can see. That the promised land is God's work. In your life, in my life, in the lives of people. And so, he even tries to warn them. He says, look, if you're not, if you see these miracles and you're not seeing the kingdom of God, next you're going to see me die on the cross. And then you're really going to, not only, so you're hopeful now, but once you see me die, even your hope is going to die. Right? Because it's going to be like you were thinking Messiah this way, and now that Messiah is dead in the tomb in the grave. And even your hope is going to die. He's, he's been trying to give them clues all along the way of this journey. And blind Bartimaeus, he can see it. He is certain that Jesus can give him his sight. He is certain that Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah, the one sent from God to bring us to the promised land that will restore the kingdom of God. Are you sure and certain of what you do not see? Are you sure and certain that Jesus is the Savior, that he is bringing the kingdom of God into your life? Are you sure and certain? See, that's where your faith grows from. That even in the midst of whatever trial or struggle or trouble or suffering or pain, I have faith and trust that Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, will still lead me to the promised land. I may not know the twists and turns and all the ups and downs of all this journey of life, but I know that ultimately the end is good. I know that ultimately heaven is the destination. I know that ultimately the full consummation of all of God's love is the destination. That's the faith that we're trusting in. I may not know every little detail, but I trust that Jesus will lead me. And he is good. And his steadfast love endures forever. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to have fear. Those are all normal. When you're going through those twists and turns and ups and downs, highs and lows. But ultimately, I know that this struggle is not the end. This is not the end. The Death, death, and the tomb are not the end. The end is resurrection. The end is new life. The end is eternity in the presence of God. Where the Bible says there is no more crying, no more weeping, no more mourning. Every tear is wiped away and there is joy and peace. really 
literally, Jesus is saying, we have, with my presence, you have access to that right now. Right now. It may not be fully complete yet, but it's starting right now. Faith is being sure and certain of what we do not yet see. Maybe not physically with our eyes. We walk by faith, not by sight. Amen. So I encourage you, think about these questions that we've asked. Are you in touch with that need for God that you're willing to cry out and call out to Jesus? And when he asks you, what do you want me to do for you? What are you going to say to him? And are you sure and certain that he can do it? Because I know that he is able. Let's pray. God, thank you for this teaching of your scripture today in this lesson. It's always amazing to see the healing that you bring. But more importantly, it's amazing to know and experience your kingdom come, your love being realized in my life and in the lives of people around me. Help me to follow you, to follow your way, and to trust in your goodness. Oh God, pour out your Holy Spirit on everyone gathered here today. May they hear you calling to them, claiming you as their children. May they come humbly before you to offer their lives to you and to follow you more closely. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he had gathered together with the disciples for a meal. And at that meal, he took the bread and broke the bread and gave thanks to God, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, broken for you. As often as you eat this, remember me. And after the supper was over, he took the cup, he gave thanks to God, and said, Take and drink from this, all of you. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. Poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, Jesus says, remember me. And so in remembrance of these mighty acts of God and Jesus Christ, that he's giving us eternal life, that he's given us abundant life, that he's giving us uh, a way, he's shown us a way to truly love one another. Uh, in a way that, that we haven't seen before. Um, so in thanksgiving, we too offer ourselves in praise to God by how we live our lives. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, pour out your, be poured out upon all of us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and the blood of Christ that we may be for the world, the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. 
By your spirit, O oh God, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes again in final victory and we all feast at his heavenly banquet. All honor and glory are yours, almighty God, now and forever. Now as your children, hear us as we pray with confidence the prayer that you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.